All right, today's podcast is brought to you by medicaltestingnetwork.com. Go over to medicaltestingnetwork.com and find local um, clinics and hospitals that are offering COVID-19 testing as well as other forms of medical testing procedures. Medicaltestingnetwork.com. All of those practices and clinics out there that would like to get inter- involved in the COVID-19 testing, they have access to the rapid antibody tests and the, the full logistical tests or diagnostic tests rather that can be done with the oral fluid. I'm here today with business owner Rich Layton. We're actually at his salon in, where is this, Riverdale? It's in North Ogden. North Ogden. This is considered North Ogden, Utah. We're at Suntouched Salon and Spa. Now, Rich, you were one of the businesses that was impacted by the shutdown, right? Absolutely. Yep. They, we, uh, we were forced to shut down due to a mandatory shutdown uh, from our county health um, health inspectors and they said we were not an essential business and when was that when did they shut you down initially? well the in March we did a temporary shutdown because they were advising that we shut down and we wanted to be you know on the forefront of making sure people felt comfortable so we did a temporary shutdown and then realized that uh, that was probably not in the best interest of our business so we reopened and then like three days later uh, there was a mandatory shutdown order for all salons spas gyms, things like that. They said we had to be shut down or we would be fined a certain dollar amount every single day. On the on the premise that you're non-essential. That we are on the premise that we are a non-essential business. Now I understand that you called the health department pertaining to that non-essential classification. I did call the health department uh, on that because we have a lot of customers that come in that have uh, doctors that have either prescribed them or recommended them that they come to a tanning salon to lay down in the bed to get the UV light because UV rays are very good with helping to control um, things like depression. And we, there's a lot of people out there that suffer from depression. And so I called the health department and they said they've never heard of that. So the lady from the health department gets on uh, gets online while she's talking to me, and she says, I've never even heard of that. And I says, well, then maybe you shouldn't shut people down before you know what's going on. So she looks it up, and she says, I'm looking at it right here, and it says that UV light doesn't um, stop. It doesn't cure depression. And my answer was, neither do the pills that the doctors prescribe. They're only meant to control the depression. People that suffer depression learn to control it with with medication and sunlight and things like that. So this person you're speaking to at the health department, I'm assuming they're a front desk worker. This is well, not, this was this the super a, this was the supervisor because the front desk but worker. This is not me, this is not an elected official. I don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't know if they were elected. I doubt it. No, the health the health department. Are, that's not an elected right. official. So you have someone who's who's not even an elected official. You have a bureaucrat making decisions about for which, my business when they don't know whether I'm truly essential or not. Interesting. And I would argue that any business that puts food on the table is essential. Well, I agree. Anybody that's trying to uh, you know make their mortgage payments or feed their family, um, if they depend upon their business, like I do and many other business owners do. Absolutely, we feel essential. But even more than that, since then, the, uh, the President of the United States and the Coronavirus Task Force has come out and said that UV light and heat kills COVID. And so, you know, I, I, I guess I want to know on what terms would we not be considered as essential? All right. First of all, 
there's going to be a lot more people that die of suicide than COVID. Well, that's the dirty little secret. Yeah, that's the dirty little secret no one's talking about. And so while we're sitting here confronting depression head on, that's one thing. But if we can now find out that UV light and heat actually helps kill COVID, then how can we not be on the top of the list when it comes to essential businesses. Sure. Well, and it won't kill it if, if it's already in your lungs. If you already have it, it's not going to kill it. No, but, but if it's on but your if hands before you've transferred bed. it, before it's yeah. actually, you know, in you. On surface. On a surface, it can actually, if, say it's on your hands and you go lay in a tanning bed, the likelihood of it killing the, the COVID increases over not doing anything at all. Absolutely. So, yeah, absolutely. The, so, the virus doesn't survive on surfaces. Right. Now, as far as like contact, let's if you're playing devil's advocate, if it's already saying, in your lungs, you shouldn't be walking into my business. Exactly. Yeah, you should. You have, should be. You should be a, well, a lot of people don't know. A lot of people are asymptomatic. They have no clue. They're saying that you know, twenty, thirty percent of us walking around out here might already have been in contact. With Which them. means we that the COVID is out there, and we're going to have to face it anyway. Exactly. So exactly. shutting down business isn't going to stop COVID from spreading. It's only going to slow down how long it takes to spread across the world. If that, given that we're all going to... It's going to to spread across the world. Given that we're all going to the same watering holes, we're all going to the same grocery stores. Right. It's kind of... Right. They've shut down all the businesses and forced us all to go to the same businesses where everybody congregates. Isn't that interesting? It's very interesting. Initially, they started out, they said, "We're we're going to flatten the curve so that we don't overwhelm hospitals. But I mean, and now hospitals are letting go of of nurses and the the important people, um, because they're only seeing a fraction of what they used to see. Because now all their non-elective things have been canceled. Doctors are making a fraction of the money. Nurses are making a fraction of the money. They're now being furloughed. So we didn't overwhelm the medical system. Not even close. Not, not even not close. Not even close. So with that being said, let's let's. Let it run its course. We should do social distancing. We should wash our hands. We should be very practical and careful about what we do, but we should get on with life. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, we did a little TikTok video earlier where I walked into the salon. We kind of went through what that looks like. There's virtually no person-to-person contact in this environment. None. Less so than, say, a None. Walmart or Costco. We, we do have estheticians, and we do waxing, and we do teeth whitening. Right now, we're not doing any of those because those are direct contact uh, with individuals. And so right now, we're not doing any of those. But where a customer walks in our facility, and they're on the other side of a desk from us that's six to seven feet away, we check them in on our computer, um, There's hand sanitizer. They go into the room that has just been completely sterilized. They lay down on a bed that that helps kill any bacteria and things like that. When they're done, we go in and re-sanitize the bed. We spray Lysol on the door as they leave. And we're cleaner than than any hospital out there. That would would stand to reason. That would stand to reason. And now they've let you By the way, that's a practice that we've always done. We always sanitize the beds. We even sanitize the floors that, that, that yeah. they've walked on. Some of, some of the measures that have been taken, you're like, why have we not been doing this always? Like the cleaning of the carts at the grocery store. Right. <laughs> but we, in fact, do those things always. That's awesome. So, you know, the health department, if they want to shut me down, they're going to have to come do a walkthrough. And I will not close my doors again. We'll end up in court because I'm not going to close my doors again. And that's because the position while, more while, businesses while need to take. one person might come in that might have been in contact with someone with COVID, 
I get many people that come in that are dealing with depression. And those people deserve to be cared for and treated just as well as anybody else. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm not a doctor, I'm no scientist. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to listen to those that are and be exactly. practical at the same time. Well, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's just a common sense rationale there. Well, when people can't make their mortgage payments and they start losing their house and start having thoughts of, of suicide, What's, right. What's you know, the benefit? To what's society? social distancing going to do for them? Exactly. Exactly. So you're open now, and you plan to stay open. I'm open. I plan to stay open. And that's the that's the directive in this whole city, right? There, businesses are allowed to open right now. Businesses are allowed to open. We adhere to all the rules. Are we adhere to all this, all of the things they asked us to do, but we go up above and beyond what normal businesses. And what's interesting do. is the more. I'm telling you, when you go to a taco time and watch them hand you your food with with the uh, rubber gloves on, and then as you're leaving, they start handing the next people's food with the same gloves on, you realize they're not adhering to the same, you know, standards that you are to, to make sure things are, and I, and I don't mean to say anything about taco time, I'm just sure, sure. using a fast food. Sure. In, in, in there's just, they're just, not changing their gloves there's gross, with every order. There's gross inconsistency right. in all of this. Even people wearing their masks, they're out there touching their faces, pulling them down, blowing. Right. Well, well, it's not well, practical, it, and it's it's not overly logical. I'm no doctor, but if you sit there with a mask on all day long and sit and breathe the CO your own air in all day long, it weakens your immune system. Yeah, there's well, right risks now. What do we mask. need? We need a very strong immune system to combat a virus. Exactly. So uh, all these people that are up in the mountains hiking with masks on, they're dumbasses. They're idiots. <laughs> Amen. Amen. There, you know, if you're up in the fresh air of a mountain on a trail, you should not have a mask on. If you do, you are the problem. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, we'll follow up with you. Rich. All right. I'll let you know how it goes. Yep. Stay in touch. I'm glad to see businesses opening up. Me too. Yeah, you got it. It is so politically popular in this country to always be pointing to a boogeyman. You know, there's always got to be another boogeyman that's going to get you. Either a virus, you know, is the current mode, the current MO, or in the past, you know, terrorists, the boogeyman of some kind. There's always got to be an enemy to point to. There's always got to be something else to draw your attention away from essentially the real enemy, which is the enemy within. The politicians, the bureaucrats, and to a certain extent, law enforcement, and even the, DO, the entire DOJ, the Department of Injustice. Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about here today. Just a little bit more on all this China talk. And, you know, is China really your enemy? I mean, is that really where we need to be, what we need to be worried about? Today's episode brought to you by politicaleventsdirectory.com. Go over to politicaleventsdirectory.com. If you're a politician or a special interest group of any kind, if you have you know, um, a coalition or a, a 501c or a nonprofit, you can list your cause there. You can list your candidacy there if you're running for governor, running for senate, running for local offices. It's, a, it's an all-inclusive site for anyone that's, basically for all things political. You can list all your websites, your links, your social media. You can post videos. There's a classified section if you're looking to find volunteers for your 
political campaign or for your nonprofit or for your event. Right now, they're doing a um, reopen offering. Anyone doing reopening reopening events can go to politicalevents.directory.com and use the um, use the discount code reopen, and you can actually post right in the events category for free. If you're hosting a reopen event, I know that a lot of those um, sites and groups have been being shadow banned on you know most of social media, and so it's a good opportunity for you to get on over there and, and view that. But diving into today's subject, China, are they your enemy? You know, one of the most common things I hear is China owns the U.S. China owns the U.S. And here's the funny thing about that: a lot of people don't understand this. What China does is buys our debt in the form of securities. That's it. They're buying our debt in the form of securities, meaning your banks and your financial institutions go out there and give you loans on, in the form of notes for your houses, automobile loans, you name it, credit cards, unsecured debt. They package those into securities and they sell them off to Chinese or foreign investors. China is what you would call a savings glut country, meaning the United States is a deficit spending country, China is a savings glut. So in the context of, you know, what that means is basically China, like Japan, like Germany, they're countries that rely heavily on exporting their capital to foreign markets in order to help continue to keep their currency in circulation and help keep the economy thriving. And the globality of today's economy requires that. It requires that savings countries, you know, buy securities and debts off of savings deficit countries or deficit spending countries, United States obviously being the largest one of those, um, in order to keep the circulatory system of monies going. So it's not, when you hear China owns America, look, if you owe somebody a million dollars, they might own you, right? If you owe someone a trillion dollars, you own them. <laughs> Meaning, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If the the Chinese ecosystem or you know their their monetary system is completely hitched to our wagon, they have no interest whatsoever in collapsing the United States economy. It would not serve them well. Where the U.S. dollar goes, also goes Asia. Um, that's not to say, look, you don't have to believe that you would enjoy living in China or that you're a huge fan of all things China to not have to point to them constantly as an enemy. You know, they're, they, they have some social issues, but so do we. My big point is the constant focus that is put on China or on any foreign nation, for that matter, as an enemy by our politicians is really just a distraction so that you don't look to what they're doing wrong, the rights that they're stripping from you, the ways in which they're ripping you off. You know, they're all enriching themselves off of all sorts of crooked backdoor deals while always pointing the finger, like I said, to the boogeyman. It's always, you know, those Chinese or those Middle Easterners or Russia, you know, it's, there's always an enemy external that, you know, when was the last time you saw us get invaded? You know, um, 9-11, some people dispute that that was even an external threat. A lot of people think that was an inside job. But I mean, in, in your entire life, chances are if you're listening to this, in your entire life, that's the only instance you can even think of 
where an outside force actually did an act of aggression towards the United States. By and large, it's the United States that's out there provoking their enemies. We're the ones that have 182 military bases, I think that's the last number that I saw, um, all over the world. We're the ones that maintain this constant military presence, yet everyone is always an enemy. You know, and, and that's the main thing people don't stop to consider is just the simple fact that, like I said, China is attached to us. It, they want to sell us their goods and services. And people say, well, you know, China's getting rich off of the Americans and ripping us off. Ask yourself this. Who gets rich off selling you Chinese goods? Do you think it's China? Is China really the one that makes money off that pair of sneakers? When your sneaker company goes to China or Asia, not necessarily even China, let's say they go to Laos or Vietnam or the Philippines like Nike, um, you know, a lot of these companies go overseas. Do they do that because it enriches those countries or do they do that because it enriches them? If you take and you, you're a sneaker manufacturer and you're looking for the lowest possible way to manufacture those sneakers, and so you go over, or a t-shirt or whatever the case may be, so you go over to Asia and you find an environment where you can make that for you know pennies on the dollar, by t- do you do that so that China can make more money off of your product? No, you do that so that you can make more money off of your product. By time that product hits the retail shelves and the consumer purchases it, what percentage, what real percentage of the entire cost of that product ended up in China? Very little. That's why companies manufacture in China. They don't manufacture in China to make China rich. They manufacture in China to enrich themselves. So that product is manufactured in Asia and again, we're just using China because it's such a hot topic today. You could say, like I said, Laos, Vietnam, the Philippines, you know, wherever. Um, India, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, the bottom line is, if you take a $100 item and let's say you buy it for $100 off the shelves, that means that the manufacturer, like a Nike, they probably wanted to have that item made for $5. So they scoured the earth to find somewhere where they could get it made at the rock bottomest price possible, where labor laws and labor conditions may not be the best, you know, regulatory environments may not be the best. Um, and then they come over here and they sell it to you. And in the middle of that sales channel, think of all the people that were enriched. You have the shipping company that takes the product from Let's just use China as an example. The shipping company brings the product over to the port. It docks in Seattle. I don't know if you guys have ever been to some of these big port cities. It's amazing to sit there in like Tacoma and watch these container ships come in. It, it really is a, a sight to see if you haven't been. Um, but you know, these container ships come in. Those shipping companies have to make money. The port, the port itself has to make money. All the cranes that lift the boxcars off of the ship you know, a lot of those guys are 20 and 30 and $40 an hour guys that are out running those big cranes. All union paid, right? The unions are making all this money. What are they making money doing? Unloading ships coming in from Asia. Those box carts are then put, taken and put on trucks. Those trucks are the shipping companies, the trucking companies make money trucking that product from 
you know, Seattle, Tacoma, the, the Bay Area, wherever the ship came in, um, across the country to the retailer. Who makes money on that? The trucking companies, the shipping companies, the railroad, right? Has all made money on it. That item has been, Adam has been transported by a shipping company or an air company like a FedEx, a UPS, whomever, DHL, you know, any, any number of, a myriad of, of mass shipping companies, right? Through airline, through freight on by sea, whatever the case may be, then by train, then by semi, and then by courier service, right? So now it hits the, the distribution center. There's a wholesale distribution company involved. That wholesale distribution company has to make a slight markup on that product. So the manufacturer has made it in China so that they can cover all these costs of shipping, of wholesale distribution. That product has to be distributed to smaller distribution centers all around the country. And then that product finally, you know, we'll leave out a few phases, but that product finally lands on a retail shelf. And how does the, how does that retailer or that product, let's say like Nike, how do they get you to buy that product? What do they do? They employ stars. So they pay a Michael Jordan millions of dollars. They pay, you know, whoever it is, Tom Brady, whoever it is. They pay the, the celebrity millions of dollars to convince you that it's cool to wear Nikes. And then they go out and they put those ads on television. They put those ads on television, on the Super Bowl, on the basketball games and all the entertainment venues that you guys all love to watch so much. And we all do. We all enjoy watching those things. But those commercials cost money, lots and lots of money. So who's making money on all that advertising? The ad agencies, the design companies, the graphic designers, um, the TV networks, the media companies, right? Think of all the people that are making money. The person that endorses the product themselves, the Michael Jordans, the Tom Brady's, the, you know, whomever, um, Serena Williams, Tiger Woods, whoever it is right? They're making money, millions and millions of dollars. Did China get rich because of Michael Jordan's contract? Did China get rich because of Serena Williams or Tiger Woods, $100 million Nike contracts? Ask yourself that. Who's getting rich? Who's enriching themselves off of the fact that those products can be so inexpensively manufactured overseas? It's so easy to sit here and just be like, oh, China this, China that. Who really made the money? By the time you pay that $100 for that pair of sneakers, how much of that money ended up in China? I would argue, well, it's not even an argument. Guess what? There was an import tax charged where the government collected money. There was an export tax charged where the government, maybe the, maybe the Chinese government made, made a small amount of money. But the shipping company buys business licenses, pays income tax, etc., etc. The trucking company, the railroad, the, the, the railroad company, all have paid taxes, all have paid their employees a lot of good wages. Railroad engineers make good money. Crane operators at these docks where the things get taken off the ship, those guys make great money. Truck drivers who brought it across the country to the warehouse make good money. And then it employs all the people at the warehouse. And then it employs the endorsers, like we talked about. The endorsers are making millions and millions of dollars. The TV um, and radio personnel, the media companies, the networks, all making millions and millions of dollars. Then it hits the retail shelves. The retailer has to pay sales tax, has to pay property tax, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The government has their hands in every single pot the entire way along that distribution chain. It's not double taxation. It's quadruple plus taxation, 
right? The government's got their hands in, the United States government has their hands in every pot the whole way through. When you buy that $100 item off the shelf at the store, you hand it to the clerk. That clerk got paid to take your money. That clerk works there. That store had to pay a wholesale price. Then they mark it up so that they can make money, so they can pay their rent to the landlord of that building and so that they can advertise and they can pay, provide insurance or what have you to their employees. Ask yourself, on a $100 item made in China, how much did China make? How much did they enrich themselves? I mean, really think about it and encourage other people to think about it. It's, I'm so sick of just the ignorance that people display when they talk about China owns us, China owns us. Let's take it another step. Let's take the debt. So now you come into that store and you pull out your credit card. You pull out your credit card and you buy that $100 pair of Nike shoes, right? So that the credit card company can charge you interest. The banks, the financial institutions, what have they all done? They've all borrowed money from the Federal Reserve. They've printed money out of thin air and lent it to themselves at an interest rate based that, that you get to absorb in the form of debt from the time the money's printed. You, the American citizen, gets to absorb that money in the, in the form of debt. So now that money is available on your credit card. You walk in, you hand the store clerk your credit card, you pay for that $100 pair of shoes, and eventually you've bought so many goods and services and consumer items that you know your credit card's maxed out. The bank wants to lend you more money. They want to steer more debt. They want to create bigger debt on the, uh, for, for future generations to have to pay for. So the banks get together and they go to the Federal Reserve and they say, let's print some more money. And they manipulate policy. And I'm, I'm obviously skipping steps. I'm not, you know, I mean, we don't, we, this doesn't have to be a, a, a college level course. I'm just touching on the, you know, everyone I think can get the basic principles here. So, you know, they go and they talk and they get the Federal Reserve to print more money, which is put on you in the form of debt by your government. And then what do they do? They want to they want to free up their books so that they can sell stocks and bonds and etc cetera, etc cetera, these financial companies. So what do they do? They package that debt and sell it to a foreign nation in many cases China. And why does China buy it off the market? Because they want to help you have more money so that you can keep shopping. China buying American debt is what frees up the American consumer's pocketbook to be able to consume more goods and services that are, are manufactured in China. If China wanted you to not be able to buy more products and services, they would stop buying the debt. How is that an anti-American thing that they're buying the debt so that you can access more of it to buy more goods that were manufactured in China that 95% of the revenue was made by other people in your own country? I mean, if you want to argue about, you know, human rights or working conditions or, you know, there's, there's arguments to be made as there is with every government about how they're run and where the corruption is or isn't. But to sit here and pontificate constantly that China's an enemy because American corporations go over there and get stuff made at rock bottom prices and then sell it to you on credit that is pushed down your throat by the banks so that they, and then when they can't, you know, then they want to keep their books clean to keep making interest on you. So they sell their package and sell their debt off to foreign countries. Also that you can point the finger at these foreign countries as the bad guy. 
It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And no one's talking about it. No one wants to talk about it. But that's the simple truth. Anyone who understands distribution, business, basic economics, ought to be able to start putting this together. You know, I mean, we, can, we could get into it way in depth. Some economists, many actually, actually argue that importing goods and services from places like China is actually better for your economy than making them here at home. And there's obviously a couple sides to that argument. You know, one is very simple. They say, look, Americans don't particularly want those types of jobs. And in order for those consumer goods to be sold at a retail price that they can actually be bought at, they have to be made for these cheap prices. And, you know, Americans want to sit here and say, yeah, American manufacturers have to have, you know, $15 an hour minimum wage and they have to have insurance for their employees and they have to abide by this law and this law and have this license and heaven forbid someone stumbles and falls in their factory they have to pay you know take care of that person for life because of the way the court system is you know a lot of this stuff flat ass could not be made under the you know the draconian measures that we place on our own corporations here in america and if they were made here, guess what? You would pay a hell of a lot more for them. Ask yourself, how much are you willing to pay for a pair of shoes? Now, many people would say, absolutely, I'll pay more to buy American-made. And I applaud those people. That's, that's fantastic. If you genuinely care about you know, having oversight on the conditions and so forth of the goods and services that you purchase, then yeah, you should buy things that are made local. You should buy something where you can walk down to the factory and look at the conditions of the workers. You can talk to the people that work there. Maybe they're your neighbors. Maybe they're your friends. And you can buy for them. But make no mistake, those items are generally going to cost you a little more than if they're made overseas. And, you know, I, for one, I'm, I'm an advocate of buying American products. But I'm also not an advocate of sitting here claiming that China is this huge enemy to us because they have an environment where you can make stuff for less. You know, they're not, they're not the ones. China is not the ones being enriched by Chinese-made goods. Granted, it's the economy that they have. Look, that's what they have, and, and, and it's amazing. You know, if you look at China, go study it. Over the last several years, they have a huge emerging class. A huge emerging class, because... They're anchoring their economy on that and trying to parlay it into other things, right? And, and that's good for them. It's good for their people and their populace. They're, um, like I said, they have the world's biggest emerging middle class. If you, if you go Google like GM Motors, hey, where's, where's the biggest growing market? You know, um, cell phones, technology, laptops, um, fashion, you, you name it. And Asia is probably the biggest emerging market for it. And to a certain extent, if you, if you want to really get into the technicalities of it, that's, that's something America should be proud of. That's something we should be proud of. Hey, we've been buying Chinese goods, and because of all that manufacturing, that created an entry-level job market there where now there's a middle class emerging, right? And it's creating wealth. So, I mean, if you want to claim that you have this global perspective and this love for everyone and you're so concerned about the human condition, arguably, it's a good thing to buy things that are made overseas. 
Um, you know, and I, I could I could easily argue both sides of that. <laughs> um, you know, I you know there's there's differences on there's there's points to be made on both sides. That's that's for that's for sure. But I think you guys get what I'm saying. Overall, to declare one country your enemy because your companies have elected to go there to have goods and services manu you know to have things made at a cheap enough rate that they can make more money, that the shipping companies can make more money, the distribution companies can make more money, the import companies can make more money, the retailers can make more money, the endorsement people can make more money, the media companies can make more money, the government collects all the taxes, the retailers make more money. I mean, when you really think about all the people that that system has enriched, really, really, China has gotten the short end of the stick. And then you add to that, and then you want to complain that they buy the debt with which you buy these goods so that you can keep buying more? That's preposterous. It really is just crazy. You know, um, I'm going to get more into this in, in future episodes because it's... It's such a it's such a big issue, and it seems to be such a talking point for every single politician. Like I said, they they always want there to be a boogeyman. They're always they always want you to they basically want you to look and worry about what everything that's going on except for what they're doing. You know, look over here, look over here, and then they'll slap you on the other side. You know, it's just it's it's really disgusting what's going on. So we can get more into it, but I feel like that you know is at least a a base overview of of how that distribution chain works and who's really becoming enriched off of it. Um, and, you know, I appreciate you guys for tuning in and listening. And, you know, we'll get, we'll get into it. Like I said, this is, you know, it's, there's really a major battle going on. Words matter. Words matter. And, you know, whenever someone points and tries to get you to have a dislike or a hatred for someone else that is not an imminent threat, you know, I mean, your military can defend you extremely adequately <laughs> against any outside military invasion, I promise. Um, the United States military, and not to mention, we have the largest military in the world in the form of armed citizens. Um, you know, I mean, we don't really have a lot to fear from outside threats. If you look around what's happening during this COVID-19 pandemic, all the rights that are being stripped back are being done by your government. What did China what did China do? What did China do? Some would say, well they released the virus. Let me tell you something. First of all, <laughs> a bio a, a biomedical weapon, a biohazard weapon, um, or a bioengineer, however you want to phrase it, you know, I hear people use different terminology for it, but you know, bioweapon, guess what? They don't have less than 1% fatality rate. If someone truly manufactures a, a bioweapon, with the intent of taking down another country, they don't do so with a virus that has a 0.05 fatality rate, okay? So that's just the first thing. Secondly, what did they do? They didn't do anything. Our reaction to it has caused all the problems. Our reaction to it has crashed our economy, and that's all been done internally. The Chinese... You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the Chinese who started shutting down California beaches. That was Governor Dipshit Newsom. That was Governor Newsom. You know, I mean, it's your, it's your local politicians. You know, the Chinese government wasn't ordering the arrest of people in parks. The Chinese government wasn't ordering an ar- the arrest of people out paddleboarding. That was your local authorities. I mean, we really need to keep our eye on the prize and... 
and fight locally and get rid of these fascist leaders that have creeped into every inch of our society from the Department of Justice to some of these cops, you know, there's a big difference between cops and law enforcement, right? Law enforcement is individuals who uphold the law. These people that are out there breaking the law, breaking the constitutional law and forcing people to be in their homes, that's not law enforcement, that's cops. Um, You know, I mean, it's just, that's a whole other segment, but you know, what did China do to us with this? Even if you say, well, it came from the Wuhan lab. Okay, let's say it did. Who funded them? Who sent them millions of dollars? And why? That's the question you should ask yourself. Who sent them millions of dollars and why? That money came from the United States. I'm telling you, the enemy is within, and to a large extent, the enemy is within our own. Take it a extent further, it's, it's truly within. It's within ourselves. You know, the, the thoughts that we have and where our hearts lie. And, you know, we've just got to really stay focused on the actual enemy, which is, which is your local and state politicians and your, your congressmen, your senators, people that have been there for 20 and 30 years but still want to point to everything else as the problem every election cycle. Um, look, thanks for, thanks for listening. We'll kind of wrap this up. I don't like these things to go, you know, we're, we're pushing 30 minutes. So um, we'll wrap this one up. We'll touch on some other topics another day, but thanks so much for listening. Enjoy and God bless. And look, there's, there's a lot of amazing, amazing patriots standing up out there. Did you guys see that Marine um, get up on the megaphone the other day in Sacramento and, and shout down those, those um, cops that were, that were stopping the reopen March rally? And half of them, about half of them turned and walked down. You know, he, he really got through to them. That was, that was an amazing thing. You're seeing so many governors step up to the plate and get their states reopened. There's a lot of things to be positive about. You know, some of these sheriffs are saying, nope, look, we're not going to enforce these laws. They're unconstitutional. You have good human beings and, and really, you know, good Americans standing up all, all around you. Listen, pay attention. Pay attention. Make a note. Make a note of who on your social media were the ones telling you, yeah, wear a mask. Yeah, hunker down. Who were they? Because those are your enemies. Those are your enemies, and they're your enemy right next. They're the enemy right next door. The ones that are calling into the local sheriff's office to report people for being outside, um, you know, this is really a separating that's going on here. And you you can very clearly see who the good guys and the bad guys are right here at home. And that's what we need to focus on, guys. Let's, let's get this country reopened. Let's take it back from the socialists and the fascists that are inside right here at home. We defend our, we got to defend our own backyard and take care of our own house before we have the right to go out and say anything about any foreign nation. Today's podcast is brought to you by AppleCatZebra.com. Go over to AppleCatZebra.com, find local mentors, coaches, events, business um, events, trade shows, you name it. All things business related can be found at AppleCatZebra.com. If you're looking for payment processors, SMS solutions, website developers, anything of the sort, you can find it at AppleCatZebra.com. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about the COVID-19 crisis and Trump's handling thereof. Me personally, I think he really got caught up on this one. You know, it was a huge mistake that has been made. And the question is going to be whether that bell can be unrung or not. It's, it's a really tricky situation. Now, to give the guy credit, and for you guys out there listening to understand, I've, 
I've overall been a Trump supporter. There's a few things, of course, that I don't agree with him on, but you know, overall, you could put me down in the column as a as a Trump supporter. And you know, when it comes to this COVID nineteen crisis, it's just been the most bizarre thing to watch him, frankly, make the mistakes that he's made. And I'm not saying that those mistakes are unforgivable. I'm not saying that you know we need to throw the guy under the bus for him. Maybe he he may very well need our support more now than ever, but. There's a lot of things that we as citizens have to be extremely vigilant about and cautious of. For example, there's the very real possibility, and you know I don't like to really go here, but it's just something that you have to be cognizant of and at least acknowledge as a possibility that you know perhaps Trump is not the guy we thought he was. You know, um, if you were to take and ask me, hey, what would be the ultimate strategy? to bring into play the new world order or, you know, some of these, you know, kind of, kind of conspiracy sounding type theories. You know, if, if you were to try and quote unquote, take down America, take down the United States, the most intelligent methodology for doing that would be to get someone in power that could appease the base of conservatives. You know, those are the folks that are you know, they're, they're freedom-loving, gun-toting, Bible-thumping Americans. Those are the ones, you know, and I, I would probably classify myself in that crowd. These are the ones that are going to take up arms against their government should it get out of control. So you would need someone in place that could appease that base long enough that you could get a stranglehold on things. And, you know, there's a very real possibility here that a lot of this has been misdirection, especially when you take into consideration how dramatic it has been. You know, the fact that the press has been so extremely anti-Trump to the extent of nothing like we've ever seen before. And I think, ironically, that's the very thing that's made so many of us side with him. But we have to be careful because that would also be a brilliant strategy, right? You make it seem as though you're at enemies with your, your you know, you're an enemy with your ally. And it's, it would be an, a very, very good use of misdirection. So here we are all pulling for the guy supporting him. And yet behind the scenes, he may very well not be the guy we have hoped he was. Now, I'm not saying that I'm there yet. I'm just trying to raise that flag and raise that awareness before it's too late because some of the things that have taken place have been very very bizarre to say the least you know trump was the gentleman that gave this whole covid 19 all of the press you know no one else no one else even had the attention or the media coverage to facilitate the type of attention that he gave to it. You know, when Trump speaks, the world listens. And people say, well, this shutdown took place all over the world. Well, contrary to what a lot of the media would have you believe, the the world, by and large, still looks up to the United States. And, you know, where the United States goes, the world tends to follow. So you can't really make the argument that this isn't a Trump shutdown. I mean, he gave it center stage. He was the one that started the COVID-19 task force. He banned Asian travel. He banned European travel. Even when all of the Democrats and people in the press were saying it was nothing to be concerned with, including Fauci, um, who's a piece of shit, by the way. That guy, just, there's that. That's a very concerning element. The fact that Trump gave that guy the mic. I mean, it doesn't take a historian to go in and see Fauci's track record. He's never been good at predictive modeling. He's 
throw over the course of his career hasn't been hugely accurate. He's worked with the Clintons extensively, worked with the Gates at Who extensively. I mean, it's a bizarre position to take that Trump is not in cahoots, so to speak, with that group, yet here he is handing Fauci the mic, and here he is giving those predictive modelings all the attention and touting himself from the podium that, you know, we could have deaths exceeding, you know, two million. Um, and I'll get into the other scenario that could happen here in a minute, but I, I just want to draw attention to this and at least have all of everyone out there listening and thinking, because again, you know, this is, this is thought wars after all. And, you know, the, the, the number one war that takes place in mankind today is the, the war for the hearts and minds of man, right? And so it's so important that we be, like I said, cognizant of the possibilities that this guy isn't who we've thought he was or had wanted him to be. He hasn't shrunk the size of the federal government. He's extended it. Um, he hasn't done some of the things that someone who was truly anti-establishment would tend to do. Now, again, I'm, I'm a Trump supporter overall. I was, I was one of the ones out there wearing the mega hats and, and touting him. And, and I still support him as opposed to Biden, as opposed to a lot of the alternatives. But that brings up another question. I mean, some of you may have seen my video where I said, why are the Democrats throwing the 2020 election? Here you have a candidate in Biden that clearly can't win clearly obviously can't win can't even put together a coherent sentence and you've got obama who is still a wildly popular political figure whether you liked him or not the guy still has a lot of clout and a lot of power obama could have very easily gone out and they could have found somebody anybody that could have put together a more effective campaign than biden all in all, it would have taken was Obama going out and saying, look, your party needs you, your country needs you. And he's a popular enough figure that that could have been facilitated. So, you know, in my mind's eye, now there's a very valid argument. You know, the counterpoint to that would be that the Democratic Party has really just lost their fucking minds. And <laughs> that's the best they could do is Biden. I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, Bernie, Bernie never really wanted to be president. That's a given. You know, a lot of the Sanders supporters, I mean, this is the second time he's done it. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, man, he, he, he folded to Hillary and now he, now he's folding to Biden. He does not want to be president. He's in it for the sheer revenue aspects of it. He's in it as a business. Here's a guy who has never been successful at anything in his life leading up to this point. He's not a commercially successful person. So, you know, now here he has figured out how to sell books to to nimwits that believe in socialist utopia and that's kind of the lane he's in and you know what better platform to go out and promote your book than to run for president a lot of people also don't understand that when you're out there running for office and you're raising capital and all these things a lot of that money cycles right back into your pocketbook you get to keep a lot of it now granted we won't get into all the details of you know, money that belongs to the DNC and the GOP and the different elective groups and things. But as a practical matter, it's extremely lucrative to run for president. Bottom line, bottom line is it's extremely lucrative to run for office. So, you know, um, and Bernie has been doing this as a business more than anything. This has been 
a business for Bernie. So, you know, to those of you that are saying, well, you know, they had Bernie. Bernie never wanted to be president, was never going to be president. And, you know, it's only natural that he he stepped aside and, and gave the, the, the nod to, to Biden. But again, it just kind of points to that concept of, man, are the, are the Democratic Party, are they throwing the 2020 election? And it looks like they are. And if they are, then why? You know, which again, just points back kind of to Trump because, you know, Trump, like I said, he gave this thing the national stage. He totally gave COVID-19 the national stage. He put together the COVID-19 task force. He, start, he started doing morning press briefings on it every single day. And when Trump speaks, the nation tunes in. He's a ratings magnet. He says so himself repeatedly. You know, nothing that could have been done would have drawn more attention to it than Trump giving it that attention. And so it's just extremely concerning, to say the least, what he's done there. Now, that being said, a lot of people will say, well, had he done nothing, the left would have attacked him. The left would have attacked him. That seems to be the most common you know, counter-argument to that point. But I say, well, they haven't stopped attacking him. They were going to attack him regardless I mean, he's not going to suddenly win over New York and California. And he knows that. And I think everybody listening knows that. You know, the radical left, if they're not already in cahoots, is never going to just magically support Trump. So why then would he take this approach? And it comes down to one of two things. Either the most concerning is he's in that group with them, you know, with the Gateses and the Clintons and the Bushes um, and the Obamas, you know, I mean, we all know that the Clintons, the Bushes and the Obamas are the same camp. There is really no distinction, although, you know, the Bushes profess to be a different political alignment than the Clintons and the Obamas, you know, that simply isn't true. I mean, there's all sorts of pictures and press of them all rubbing elbows and, you know, they're, they're all in love with one another and very clearly in the same camp. And that's, you know, a whole nother podcast that we could get into in and of itself, just the whole nine 11 stuff and all the bizarreness around that and the involvement of, of those groups working together. But nonetheless, you know, but let's say, let's say, let's, let's for the sake of this podcast, let's say, well, Let's not go there. Let's say, let's not operate on the premise that Trump is involved and is not our guy. Let's assume that he's still on our side. He's still a good guy. He wants to see a free and prosperous America. You know, and, and, and I certainly hope that's the case. Well, if that's the case, he still made a tremendous, tremendous mistake. And it's a bell that is going to be extremely difficult to unring. I mean, you can't take a group of leftists that are always, always looking for a handout, always, always looking for an excuse to not have to work, always looking for an excuse for the government to support them or for those that do work and produce to support them. You can't take that group of people and say, hey, here's this big, bad, scary disease that's going to kill everybody. It's going to wipe out millions of people and dedicate all the time and energy putting that in front of their face and then getting the, the lockdowns and everything else going and then, in a completely asinine move, make it to where they make $600 more per week than they do working, you can't take that group of people and now unring that bell and say, well, now it's time to get back to work. Go back out and face this virus we've convinced you is so deadly 
and also do so while making less money and working. I mean, that's a very, very difficult bell to unring. In the subset of their minds, they're going to, they're going to fight that tooth and nail. I don't know why Trump ever signed off on the concept of people making $600 more per week than they were working. That just is beyond asinine. And I think it's going to prove to be yet another, you know, downfall. Um, and you know, I mean, like it or not, mistakes were made. And some of these mistakes, I hope this doesn't go down as his legacy. And more importantly, I hope this isn't what brings the country to its knees long-term because unringing this bell is going to be so, so difficult. You opened up the window. Look at Pelosi this last week, um, putting a $3 trillion bailout package through Congress that she knows is DOA. Everyone who approved it, all the yeas, they know it's dead in arrival at the Senate. You know, but you opened the door in what's been done here for that type of political stunt. Because now they can come back and say, oh, your $3 trillion package got pushed through, but ours didn't. And even within the first $3 trillion package, so, so much of the stuff that was in there that you conceded to, you know, $25 million for the Kennedy Center of the Arts. Um, I mean, God, we could go on and on. Just all the, the pork that was in that bill. You conceded to it. Trump signed it. You know, um, GOP, the Republicans didn't take a firm stand on getting that stuff cleaned out. And at the time, there was likely the political power within the country to do so, to do so. You know, I mean, they got very public after it was signed and kind of, you know, played the game there. But again, just got raises so many questions. Why? Why did they allow the junk that was in that first bill to go through? Because now now you can't stand on principle. Now, when they put junk in the next bill, they can point to you and say, hey, you did it the first time, and now you're saying we can't do it just because, you know, hey, look, this is partisan, this isn't about the virus. And now he's opened himself up to all of that skepticism, and now they have a leg to stand on because, because of what's been created. But here's what I think happened. If you, if you say, okay, let's not presume that Trump is involved in all this. Let's, let's presume that he's a great guy and still wants what's best for America. Let's look at what probably happened. And this is, this is pr- a pretty good explanation of how this went. Um, they came to Trump. They said, look, here's what's going on in China. And they shared with him the real death tallies, the totals. They said, look, this is, this is horrible. They're losing millions of lives. And Trump was not able to distinguish how differently that would play out in America versus how it was playing out in Beijing. If you take the city of like Beijing, Wuhan, Wuhan, for example, is like 10 times the size of New York, okay? These Asian cities, for those of you that haven't been there, they're massive. We're talking just total urban sprawl, unlike any of the metropolitan areas you see in the United States. Um, You know, so you have people living on top of people in the nation of Asia or China, nation of Asia, continent of Asia, in in the nation of China, you have people living on top of people, extremely densely populated cities, huge metroplexes. And within that, you know, you just have everyone living in very close proximity, the building and construction codes and such, although they have many, many, many big, beautiful buildings and a lot of their newer stuff is very nice. A lot of the older buildings, you know, are kind of like getting on an airplane where 
the air from one floor travels to the next. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, recirculation of air within those buildings and those apartment complexes. And you know, I mean, it's not uncommon for for people to live in a 200 square foot apartment. It's just not so. You know, the dynamics there are completely different. You have just such close proximity. Now you add to that that for whatever reason, minority groups, um, <laughs> if you call them minority groups, we're so funny, that's a, that's a whole other subject, but, um, you know, different ethnicities that are not white <laughs> seem to be um, more impacted by COVID-19 for whatever reason than others. Now, some of that might be socioeconomic. Some of that might be geography. I mean, it, you know, it's it's really hard to to pin it down to just a, a, the ethnicity, but, you know, go on the CDC site and look at that. It's kind of interesting, but anyhow, within the nation of China, this was spreading in a certain way. And let's presume that Trump was handed that data and he just, again, this is a mistake. Any, any way you cut it, Trump made a mistake. They handed him the data. They said, look what's happening in Asia. He didn't break down some of the things I just told you. The fact that, you know, the water system, the sewage system, the, is, is not as efficient there. Medical care, um, not as efficient there. Socialized medical care, so you don't have as good medical care as we have here in the United States. Nowhere in the world, contrary to what the media wants to tell you, has quite as good of medical infrastructure and so on and so forth as, as the United States. Um, so he looks at that and he says, hey, this is horrible. This is, this is scary. This is the apocalypse. Then he didn't put together the rationale that most of us that have access to this kind of information would know, which is even if it were catastrophic, even if this thing were the apocalypse in China, when it hits the American shores, it's going to be a different story. We have cleaner water supply. We have better, cleaner food distribution processes, better, cleaner living standards, um, you know, a more sparse or spread out population better medical care, better testing, better, just a much better overall situation where any disease, any disease is not going to spread the same as it does in other countries. It's, it's, it's completely inaccurate and inappropriate to look at how something behaves in a foreign land and think that it's going to behave the same once it hits the, the shores of the United States. We just have a better infrastructure and a higher standard of living than practically than most than most places especially when you're talking asia now if you get over into like european countries you know there's cities there i've i don't know if you spent a lot of time over there but you know i've spent a fair amount of time in in some of those cities and and you know i mean they're they have equal or greater standard of living especially as compared to like in new york and then that brings me to the the second point when you're talking about you know new york city so here trump is he sees this thing hitting Asia. He's told it's catastrophic. It's the apocalypse there. Um, there's all these horrible things happening. He kind of panics. He bans Asian travel, bans European travel, and um, starts taking the measures to, you know, protect the United States. Then it gets here and it starts to spread throughout New York City. And what happens in New York City, mind you, is going to be several times less severe than what happened in China. Um, so it, it shrinks a little bit. It, it, it drops off. It, it, it drops off a little bit and, um, it's not as severe, but still severe. And Trump doesn't 
have the knowledge for whatever reason doesn't take the time to think about this maybe because he's just a new york guy you know that may be part of this the fact that he's a new york guy born and raised he spends so much of his life in and around that northeast area you know just his lack of understanding of how the american train differs from even that and and especially how it differs when you talk about the spread of a virus such as covid 19 so it hits new york and it starts to kind of have an extreme impact there and then the entire nation reacts to how this thing is happening and how it's translating in the city of new york which again you go from china to new york and it's going to be less severe now equally so you go from new york to the rest of the country and it's going to be that much less severe. And no one really put this thing together. No one stopped and thought. Like in New York City, for example, the streets are literally full of shit. Meaning, um, if you've been there, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You know, the just like when you take your finger and you put it over the top of a straw, the water can't come out. Um, you know, you have all these high-rise buildings in very close proximity and actually relatively old infrastructure. And in order for those sewer systems to work and to ventilate and everything, they literally, out the side of those buildings, have, you know, holes where the, where the sewer systems or the sewer pipes can get air and ventilation. And then the sewer, when it hits the street and it drops, you have um, ventilation into the streets. So when you're walking around New York City, you're literally breathing in a lot of nasty stuff, a lot of feces and human waste. And so that's going to obviously impact tremendously, tremendously how a virus spreads in New York City versus how it does when you get further out west. It, there's, just, there's just no comparison. You say, look, here's something in New York. There is absolutely no reason. I mean, even in upper New York, even in, even in upstate New York, this thing didn't spread. Como himself has been on the air talking about how in upstate New York, they're furloughing doctors, they're closing down hospitals, you know, they, they acknowledge that. I mean, when you say New York, I guess I should clarify really Manhattan, really they're in Manhattan in the, in the actual city, same with New Jersey across the, across the, the river there. I mean, these are just highly, highly densely populated areas, tremendously old infrastructure, less clean sewage disposal systems, lots of ventilation into the streets, just, just a, just a completely different dynamic than what you're going to see anywhere else in the country. And so they didn't break it down. They didn't say, okay, this is going to be much less worse in New York. And then once it gets to the rest of the country, it's going to be much less, much, much less than it was even, even for New York versus, versus Asia. So that may have been the mistake. It may be as simple as just that. Just, it was a, just a logistical calculation error. And then once it got, once the opportunists got a hold of it, then they wouldn't let it go. You know, because they've been looking for something like this. Now you've got all this money involved. The states are able to use this as an excuse for years and years of the bad management of their money. Um, you know, most of these states were bankrupt or running huge deficits well prior to well prior to COVID-19. And now this gives them an excuse to kind of look for that bailout and continue to support their leftist agendas. I mean, there's there's lots of ways that 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 could very well be the case but you have to i think i think acknowledging that a mistake was made is important and it's been kind of frustrating me to watch you know i watched trump go on and he's he's trying to play the china card um if you've listened to previous podcasts you know how i feel about that i don't i don't really feel like pointing the finger at other nations um and worrying about what they do or don't do is 
is of grave, you know, concern to us or is the smartest move for us. You know, instead he's, you know, and all the politicians are doing this. They're out there touting their response to this. Hey, look, we did great things. We saved millions of lives. The shutdown saved lives. Rather than doing what they should be doing, which was, look, I got bad data, period. This thing didn't take like we thought it was going to take. There was no avalanche of death. There was no windfall outbreaks. You know, no one, no one wants to own up to it. No one will admit to it. And so because of that, we're stuck in this downward spiral that is going to be extremely difficult to, to climb out of. The only way I fear that we truly climb out of this is this is going to lead to a revolution of sorts. Now, whether that revolution turns violent or not is to be determined, but something's going to have to give because these Democratic governors... They don't give a shit about their populace. They don't care how many people go into poverty. They don't care how many businesses close. They don't care how many people die. Nothing matters to them more than their agenda. And they're patient and they're willing to wait this out. And it's a, it's a scary thing. So shy of patriots rising up within those states... And in literal fashion, overthrowing those governments, they may not let go of this because Trump made the mistake of opening this window. And the only way he can unring this bell is to come out like he should have done very early on. I mean, by by April, it was pretty clear that it wasn't spreading the way that they had thought. I mean, it had been here since January Arguably now, they're saying it could have been here as early as October, November. I mean, look, when a virus hits the American shores, given the way that we travel and just the close contact and the activity that we have, 90 days in, you're already outside of the containment zone. You're not going to contain the spread of that virus. And so they come out and nor did they represent that, remember. That's the, that's the other bizarre thing here. They, they didn't represent that they were going to contain the spread. They said, hey, we're going to slow the curve, which is such an asinine comment, really, because you, if you can't contain the spread, you can't somehow magically contain hospitalization rates. That's kind of an absurd comment in and of itself. Like, it's going to spread. It's going to... You know, we're going to have the, the contagion factor, but I mean, just everything about it. I'm sure most of you listening are, are going crazy with this. Your BS alarms just have to be going off 24-7. You know, like you can go to Lowe's and Walmart, but you can't go to your locally owned businesses. Um, you know, the churches all caved and closed down. Um, it, it's just been an astonishing thing to witness. And you know, we just have to stay so vigilant and be prepared for what comes next, which is this is going to take a pretty major uprising of the people. This is going to have to be something that we fight back on hard. This is not going to go away easily. This is, a, like I said, a bell that's been rung that can't be unrung in in, a, in light fashion. Um, and, you know, unfortunately... Trump is to blame. I mean, he gave this thing light. He gave it this window, and now we have to deal with it. And supporting him through this blunder is going to be difficult because one of two things is going to happen in the very near coming weeks. 
he's either going to show himself to not be a patriot and not be on our side, or he's going to have to come out and say, look, you know, I've got to put the hammer down. I mean, when he stood Governor Kemp in the back, that was pretty despicable. I couldn't believe that. You know, here's Kemp trying to open up, and then you got Trump on national TV saying, you know, nope, he's 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 going outside of the guidelines. And everything about how he's, quote-unquote, supported the reopening has been kind of silly. You know, he hasn't, until just these last couple of days, really came out. He supported Elon Musk in Elon's opening. He put the tweet out and said, look, California should let Elon Musk open up. And that was really the first move. That was really the first move towards him being the Trump I remember, the Trump that we all elected. You know, the guy that isn't scared and isn't pussyfooting around the situation, isn't straddling the fence. You know, but I also see him making comments like, we're going to mobilize the U.S. military to deliver the vaccinations. That's that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. Why the fuck would you need the U.S. military mobilized to deliver vaccinations? There is ample medical infrastructure. He himself has been on television saying, look, America's doing more testing, number one in testing all over the world. We're fantastic at this. He's been touting the American medical infrastructure, yet simultaneously he's saying that, you know, we need to be prepared to have the military involved in the in the disbursement of the vaccinations, which, man, that's a whole other arena. But listen, stay vigilant. That's, that's, you know, if there's one message I'm trying to get across here, it's don't be so sold on the jersey that you forget that both teams might support the game. To elaborate on that, you know, you might have an NFL, you might have an NFC and an AFC, but when it comes time to protect that game or to protect the Super Bowl where they all make their money, you might, you might find that they'll all defend the league. And I kind of see the same thing developing here. You might have you know, a red jersey or a blue jersey on, but remember that the most important thing is that you're an American first. And, you know, we don't want to be a group that follows Trump to the point where we allow ourselves to be manipulated by that. You know, I mean, this is this is unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetimes. You know, shutting down over a virus with a 99.9 plus survival rate allowing the complete shutdown of our economy, the surrendering of rights, the infringement on personal liberties, them coming out and saying you can't have church. The church is then cowering to the government and not standing up for that. I mean, just never would I even have thought, and I'm a conspiracy theorist type guy, as you probably know. I mean, I there's not many things I would would question in terms of their possibility, but even I wouldn't have thought that you would see America cave so easily. And a lot of that has been because those that would typically rise up and be raising questions and be saying, well, just a damn minute, they're comfortable. They're comfortable because they feel like Trump is in charge and that he's with them. But I would argue that we need to be extremely cautious of presuming that, given the circumstances. So, you know, stay vigilant, be thoughtful, and always be skeptical of those in power.
Today's podcast is brought to you by AppleCatZebra.com. Go over to AppleCatZebra.com, find local mentors, coaches, events, business um, events, trade shows, you name it. All things business related can be found at AppleCatZebra.com. If you're looking for payment processors, SMS solutions, website developers, anything of the sort, you can find it at AppleCatZebra.com. Today's podcast, we're going to talk about the COVID-19 crisis and Trump's handling thereof. Me personally, I think he really got caught up on this one. You know, it was a huge mistake that has been made. And the question is going to be whether that bell can be unrung or not. It's, it's a really tricky situation. Now, to give the guy credit, and for you guys out there listening to understand, I've I've overall been a Trump supporter. There's a few things, of course, that I don't agree with him on. But, you know, overall, you could put me down in the column as a as a Trump supporter. And, you know, when it comes to this COVID-19 crisis, it's just been the most bizarre thing to watch him, frankly, make the mistakes that he's made. And I'm not saying that those mistakes are unforgivable. I'm not saying that, you know, we need to throw the guy under the bus for him. Maybe he he may very well need our support more now than ever. But... There's a lot of things that we as citizens have to be extremely vigilant about and cautious of. For example, there's the very real possibility, and you know I don't like to really go here, but it's just something that you have to be cognizant of and at least acknowledge as a possibility that you know perhaps Trump is not the guy we thought he was. You know, um, if you were to take and ask me, hey, what would be the ultimate strategy to bring into play the new world order or, you know, some of these, you know, kind of kind of conspiracy sounding type theories, you know, if, if you were to try and quote unquote, take down America, take down the United States, the most intelligent methodology for doing that would be to get someone in power that could appease the base of conservatives. You know, those are the folks that are, you know, they're, they're freedom-loving, gun-toting, Bible-thumping Americans. Those are the ones, you know, and I, I would probably classify myself in that crowd. These are the ones that are going to take up arms against their government should it get out of control. So you would need someone in place that could appease that base long enough that you could get a stranglehold on things. And... You know, there's a very real possibility here that a lot of this has been misdirection, especially when you take into consideration how dramatic it has been. You know, the fact that the press has been so extremely anti-Trump to the extent of nothing like we've ever seen before. And I think, ironically, that's the very thing that's made so many of us side with him. But we have to be careful because that would also be a brilliant strategy, right? You make it seem as though you're at enemies with your, your you know, you're an enemy with your ally. And it's, it would be an, a very, very good use of misdirection. So here we are all pulling for the guy supporting him. And yet behind the scenes, he may very well not be the guy we have hoped he was. Now, I'm not saying that I'm there yet. I'm just trying to raise that flag and raise that awareness before it's too late because some of the things that have taken place have been very very bizarre to say the least you know trump was the gentleman that gave this whole covid 19 all of the press you know no one else no one else even had the attention or the media coverage to facilitate 
the type of attention that he gave to it. You know, when Trump speaks, the world listens. And people say, well, this shutdown took place all over the world. Well, contrary to what a lot of the media would have you believe, the the world, by and large, still looks up to the United States. And, you know, where the United States goes, the world tends to follow. So you can't really make the argument that this isn't a Trump shutdown. I mean, he gave it center stage. He was the one that started the COVID-19 task force. He banned Asian travel. He banned European travel. Even when all of the Democrats and people in the press were saying it was nothing to be concerned with, including Fauci, um, who's a piece of shit, by the way. That guy, just, there's that. That's a very concerning element. The fact that Trump gave that guy the mic. I mean, it doesn't take a historian to go in and see Fauci's track record. He's never been good at predictive modeling. He's over the course of his career hasn't been hugely accurate. He's worked with the Clintons extensively, worked with the Gates at WHO extensively. I mean, it's a bizarre position to take that Trump is not in cahoots, so to speak, with that group, yet here he is handing Fauci the mic, and here he is giving those predictive modelings all the attention and touting himself from the podium that, you know, we could have deaths exceeding, you know, two million. Um, And I'll get into the other scenario that could have happened here in a minute, but I, I just want to draw attention to this and at least have all of everyone out there listening and thinking, because again, you know, this is, this is thought wars after all. And, you know, the, the, the number one war that takes place in mankind today is the, the war for the hearts and minds of man, right? And so it's so important that we be, like I said, cognizant of the possibilities that this guy isn't who we've thought he was or had wanted him to be. He hasn't shrunk the size of the federal government. He's extended it. Um, he hasn't done some of the things that someone who was truly anti-establishment would tend to do. Now, again, I'm, I'm a Trump supporter overall. I was, I was one of the ones out there wearing the mega hats and, and touting him. And, and I still support him as opposed to Biden, as opposed to a lot of the alternatives, but that brings up another question. I mean, some of you may have seen my video where I said, why are the Democrats throwing the 2020 election? Here you have a candidate in Biden that clearly can't win clearly obviously can't win can't even put together a coherent sentence and you've got obama who is still a wildly popular political figure whether you liked him or not the guy still has a lot of clout and a lot of power obama could have very easily gone out and they could have found somebody anybody that could have put together a more effective campaign than biden all in all it would have taken was Obama going out and saying, look, your party needs you, your country needs you. And he's a popular enough figure that that could have been facilitated. So, you know, in my mind's eye, now there's a very valid argument. You know, the counterpoint to that would be that the Democratic Party has really just lost their fucking minds. And <laughs> that's the best they could do is Biden. I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, Bernie, Bernie never really wanted to be president. That's a given. You know, a lot of the Sanders supporters, I mean, this is the second time he's done it. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, man, he, he, he folded to Hillary and now he, now he's folding to Biden. He does not want to be president. He's in it for the sheer revenue aspects of it. He's in it as a business. Here's a guy who has never been successful at anything in his life leading up to this point. 
he's not a commercially successful person. So, you know, now here he has figured out how to sell books to, to nimwits that believe in socialist utopia. And that's kind of the lane he's in. And, you know, what better platform to go out and promote your book than to run for president? A lot of people also don't understand that when you're out there running for office and you're raising capital and all these things, a lot of that money cycles right back into your pocketbook. You get to keep a lot of it. Now, granted, we won't get into all the details of, you know, money that belongs to the DNC and the GOP and the different elective groups and things, but... As a practical matter, it's extremely lucrative to run for president. Bottom line. Bottom line is, it's extremely lucrative to run for office. So, you know, um, and Bernie has been doing this as a business. More than anything, this has been a business for Bernie. So, you know, to those of you that are saying, well, you know, they had Bernie. Bernie never wanted to be president, was never going to be president. And, you know, it's only natural that he... He stepped aside and, and gave the, the, the nod to, to Biden. But again, it just kind of points to that concept of, man, are the, are the Democratic Party, are they throwing the 2020 election? And it looks like they are. And if they are, then why? You know, which again, just points back kind of to Trump because, you know, Trump, like I said, he gave this thing the national stage. He totally gave... COVID-19 the national stage. He put together the COVID-19 task force. He start, he started doing morning press briefings on it every single day. And when Trump speaks, the nation tunes in. He's a ratings magnet. He says so himself repeatedly. You know, nothing that could have been done would have drawn more attention to it than Trump giving it that attention. And so it's just extremely concerning to say the least what he's done there. Now, that being said, a lot of people will say, well, had he done nothing, the left would have attacked him. The left would have attacked him. That seems to be the most common, you know, counter argument to that point. But I say, well, they haven't stopped attacking him. They were going to attack him regardless. I mean, he's not going to suddenly win over New York and California. And he knows that. And I think everybody listening knows that. You know, the radical left if they're not already in cahoots, is never going to just magically support Trump. So why then would he take this approach? And it comes down to one of two things. Either the most concerning is he's in that group with them, you know, with the Gateses and the Clintons and the Bushes um, and the Obamas. You know, I mean, we all know that the Clintons, the Bushes and the Obamas are the same camp. There is really no distinction, although, you know, the Bushes profess to be a different political alignment than the Clintons and the Obamas. You know, that simply isn't true. I mean, there's all sorts of pictures and press of them all rubbing elbows and, you know, they're, they're all in love with one another and very clearly in the same camp. And that's, you know, a whole nother podcast that we could get into in and of itself, just the whole 9-11 stuff and all the bizarreness around that and the involvement of, of those groups working together. But nonetheless, you know, but let's say, let's say, let's, let's for the sake of this podcast, let's say, well, let's not go there. Let's say, let's not operate on the premise that Trump is involved and is not our guy. Let's assume that he's still on our side. He's still a good guy. He wants to see a free and prosperous America, you know, and, and, and I certainly hope that's the case. Well, if that's the case, he still made a tremendous, tremendous mistake 
and it's a bell that is going to be extremely difficult to unring. I mean, you can't take a group of leftists that are always, always looking for a handout, always, always looking for an excuse to not have to work, always looking for an excuse for the government to support them or for those that do work and produce to support them. You can't take that group of people and say, hey, Here's this big, bad, scary disease that's going to kill everybody. It's going to wipe out millions of people and dedicate all the time and energy putting that in front of their face and then getting the, the lockdowns and everything else going. And then, in a completely asinine move, make it to where they make $600 more per week than they do working. You can't take that group of people and now unring that bell and say, well... Now it's time to get back to work. Go back out and face this virus we've convinced you was so deadly and also do so while making less money and working. I mean, that's a very, very difficult bell to unring. In the subset of their minds, they're going to, they're going to fight that tooth and nail. I don't know why Trump ever signed off on the concept of people making $600 more per week than they were working. That just is beyond asinine. And I think it's going to prove to be yet another, you know, downfall. Um, and, you know, I mean, like it or not, mistakes were made. And some of these mistakes, I hope this doesn't go down as his legacy. And more importantly, I hope this isn't what brings the country to its knees long term, because Unringing this bell is going to be so, so difficult. You opened up the window. Look at Pelosi this last week, um, putting a $3 trillion bailout package through Congress that she knows is DOA. Everyone who approved it, all the yeas, they know it's dead in arrival at the Senate. You know, but you opened the door in what's been done here for that type of political stunt. Because now they can come back and say, oh, your $3 trillion package got pushed through, but ours didn't. And even within the first $3 trillion package, so, so much of the stuff that was in there that you conceded to, you know, $25 million for the Kennedy Center of the Arts. Um, I mean, God, we could go on and on. Just all the, the pork that was in that bill. You conceded to it. Trump signed it. You know, um, GOP, the Republicans didn't take a firm stand on getting that stuff cleaned out. And at the time, there was likely the political power within the country to do so to do so you know i mean they got very public after it was signed and kind of you know played the game there but again just got raises so many questions why why did they allow the junk that was in that first bill to go through because now now you can't stand on principle now when they put junk in the next bill they can point to you and say hey you did it the first time and now you're saying we can't do it just because you know hey look this is partisan this isn't about the virus and now he's opened himself up to all of that skepticism and now they have a leg to stand on because because of what's been created. But here's what I think happened. If you if you say, okay, let's not presume that Trump is involved in all this. Let's let's presume that he's a great guy and still wants what's best for America. Let's look at what probably happened. And this is this is pr- a pretty good explanation of how this went. Um, they came to Trump. They said, look, here's what's going on in China. And they shared with him the real death tallies, the totals. They said, look, this is, this is horrible. They're losing millions of lives. And Trump was not able to distinguish how differently that would play out in America 
versus how it was playing out in Beijing. If you take the city of like Beijing, Wuhan, Wuhan, for example, is like 10 times the size of New York, okay? These Asian cities, for those of you that haven't been there, they're massive. We're talking just total urban sprawl, unlike any of the metropolitan areas you see in the United States. Um, you know, so you have people living on top of people. In the nation of Asia, or China, nation of Asia, continent of Asia, in the nation, in the nation of China, you have people living on top of people, extremely densely populated cities, huge metroplexes. And within that, you know, you just have everyone living in very close proximity, the building and construction codes and such, although they have many, many, many big, beautiful buildings and a lot of their newer stuff is very nice. A lot of the older buildings, you know, are kind of like getting on an airplane where the air from one floor travels to the next. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, recirculation of air within those buildings and those apartment complexes. And, you know, I mean, it's not uncommon for, for people to live in a 200 square foot apartment. It's just not. So, you know, the dynamics there are completely different. You have just such close proximity. Now you add to that, that for whatever reason, minority groups, um, (laughs) if you call them minority groups, we're so funny. That's, that's a whole other subject, but, um, you know, different ethnicities that are not white (laughs) seem to be um, more impacted by COVID-19 for whatever reason than others. Now, some of that might be socioeconomic. Some of that might be geography. I mean, you know, it's it's really hard to to pin it down to just the ethnicity. But, you know, go on the CDC site and look at that. It's kind of interesting. But anyhow, within the nation of China, this was spreading in a certain way. And let's presume that Trump was handed that data and he just, again, this is a mistake. Any any way you cut it, Trump made a mistake. They handed him the data. They said, look what's happening in Asia. He didn't break down some of the things I just told you. The fact that, you know, the water system, the sewage system, the, is is not as efficient there. Medical care, um, not as efficient there. Socialized medical care, so you don't have as good medical care as we have here in the United States. Nowhere in the world, contrary to what the media wants to tell you, has quite as good of medical infrastructure and so on and so forth as as the United States. Um, So he looks at that and he says, "Hey, this is horrible. This is this is scary. This is the apocalypse." Then he didn't put together the rationale that most of us that have access to this kind of information would know, which is even if it were catastrophic, even if this thing were the apocalypse in China. When it hits the American shores, it's going to be a different story. We have cleaner water supply. We have better, cleaner food distribution processes, better, cleaner living standards, Um, you know, a more sparse or spread out population, better medical care, better testing, better, just a much better overall situation where any disease, any disease is not going to spread the same as it does in other countries. It's, it's, it's completely inaccurate and inappropriate to look at how something behaves in a foreign land and think that it's going to behave the same once it hits the, the shores of the United States. We just have a better infrastructure and a higher standard of living than practically, than most, than most places, especially when you're talking Asia. Now, if you get over into like European countries, you know, there's cities there. I've I don't know if you spent a lot of time over there, but, you know, I've spent a fair amount of time in, in some of those cities. And, and you know, I mean, they're, they have equal or greater standard of living, especially as compared to, like, in New York. And then that brings me to the, the second point. When you're talking about 
you know, New York City. So here Trump is. He sees this thing hitting Asia. He's told it's catastrophic. It's the apocalypse there. Um, there's all these horrible things happening. He kind of panics. He bans Asian travel, bans European travel, and um, starts taking the measures to, you know, protect the United States. Then it gets here, and it starts to spread throughout New York City. And what happens in New York City, mind you, is going to be several times less severe than what happened in China. Um, so it it shrinks a little bit. It 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 drops off. It 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 drops off a little bit, and um, it's not as severe, but still severe. And Trump doesn't have the knowledge for whatever reason doesn't take the time to think about this maybe because he's just a new york guy you know that may be part of this the fact that he's a new york guy born and raised he spends so much of his life in and around that northeast area you know just his lack of understanding of how the american terrain differs from even that and and especially how it differs when you talk about the spread of a virus such as covid 19 so it hits new york and it starts to kind of have an extreme impact there and then the entire nation reacts to how this thing is happening and how it's translating in the city of new york which again you go from china to new york and it's going to be less severe now equally so you go from new york to the rest of the country and it's going to be that much less severe. And no one really put this thing together. No one stopped and thought. Like in New York City, for example, the streets are literally full of shit. Meaning, um, if you've been there, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You know, the just like when you take your finger and you put it over the top of a straw, the water can't come out. Um, you know, you have all these high-rise buildings in very close proximity and actually relatively old infrastructure. And in order for those sewer systems to work and to ventilate and everything, they literally, out the side of those buildings, have, you know, holes where the, where the sewer systems or the sewer pipes can get air and ventilation. And then the sewer, when it hits the street and it drops, you have um, ventilation into the streets. So when you're walking around New York City, you're literally breathing in a lot of nasty stuff, a lot of feces and human waste. And so that's going to obviously impact tremendously, tremendously how a virus spreads in New York City versus how it does when you get further out west. It, there's, just, there's just no comparison. You say, look, here's something in New York. There is absolutely no reason. I mean, even in upper New York, even in, even in upstate New York, this thing didn't spread. Como himself has been on the air talking about how in upstate New York, they're furloughing doctors, they're closing down hospitals. You know, they, they acknowledge that. I mean, when you say New York, I guess I should clarify, really, Manhattan. Really, they're in Manhattan, in the, in the actual city. Same with New Jersey, across, the, across the, the river there. I mean, these are just highly, highly densely populated areas, tremendously old infrastructure, less clean sewage disposal systems, lots of ventilation into the streets, just, just, a, just a completely different dynamic than what you're going to see anywhere else in the country. And so they didn't break it down. They didn't say, okay, this is going to be much less worse in New York. And then once it gets to the rest of the country, it's going to be much less, much, much less than it was even, even for New York versus, versus Asia. So that may have been the mistake. It may be as simple as just that. Just, it was a, just a logistical calculation error. 
and then once it got once the opportunists got a hold of it then they wouldn't let it go you know because they've been looking for something like this now you've got all this money involved the states are able to use this as an excuse for years and years of the bad management of their money um you know most of these states were bankrupt or running huge deficits well prior to we're well prior to COVID-19 and now this gives them an excuse to kind of look for that bell out and continue to support their leftist agendas. I mean, there's, there's lots of ways that, that, that could very well be the case, but you have to, I think, I think acknowledging that a mistake was made is important. And it's been kind of frustrating me to watch, you know, I watched Trump go on and he's, he's trying to play the China card. Um, if you've listened to previous podcasts, you know how I feel about that. I don't, I don't really feel like pointing the finger at other nations um, and worrying about what they do or don't do is is of grave, you know, concern to us or is the smartest move for us. You know, instead he's, you know, and all the politicians are doing this. They're out there touting their response to this. Hey, look, we did great things. We saved millions of lives. The shutdown saved lives rather than doing what they should be doing, which was, look, I got bad data, period. This thing didn't take like we thought it was going to take. There was no avalanche of death. There was no windfall outbreaks. You know, no one, no one wants to own up to it. No one will admit to it. And so because of that, we're stuck in this downward spiral that is going to be extremely difficult to, to climb out of. The only way I fear that we truly climb out of this is this is going to lead to a revolution of sorts. Now, whether that revolution turns violent or not, is to be determined, but something's going to have to give because these democratic governors, they don't give a shit about their populace. They don't care how many people go into poverty. They don't care how many businesses close. They don't care how many people die. Nothing matters to them more than their agenda. And they're patient and they're willing to wait this out. And it's a, it's a scary thing. So shy of patriots rising up within those states and in literal fashion overthrowing those governments, they may not let go of this because Trump made the mistake of opening this window. And the only way he can unring this bell is to come out like he should have done very early on. I mean, by, by April, it was pretty clear that it wasn't spreading the way that they had thought. I mean, it had been here since January. Arguably now they're saying it could have been here as early as October, November. I mean, look, when a virus hits the American shores, given the way that we travel and just the close contact and the activity that we have, 90 days in, you're already outside of the containment zone. You're not going to contain the spread of that virus. And so they come out and nor did they represent that, remember. That's the that's the other bizarre thing here. They they didn't represent that they were going to contain the spread. They said, hey, we're going to slow the curve, which is such an asinine comment, really, because you if you can't contain the spread, you can't somehow magically contain hospitalization rates. That's kind of an absurd comment in and of itself. Like it's going to spread, it's going to you know, we're going to have the, the contagion factor, but I mean, just everything about it. I'm sure most of you listening are, are going crazy with this. Your BS alarms just have to be going off 24 seven, you know, like you can go to Lowe's and Walmart, but you can't go to your locally owned businesses. Um, you know, the churches all caved and closed down. Um, 
it's just been an astonishing thing to witness and you know we just have to stay so vigilant and be prepared for what comes next which is this is going to take a pretty major uprising of the people this is going to have to be something that we fight back on hard this is not going to go away easily this is a like i said a bell that's been rung that can't be unrung in in a in light fashion um and you know unfortunately trump is to blame i mean he gave this thing light he gave it this window and now we have to deal with it and supporting him through this blunder is going to be difficult because one of two things is going to happen in the very near coming weeks he's either going to show himself to not be a patriot and not be on our side or he's going to have to come out and say look you know i've got to put the hammer down i mean when he stood governor kemp in the back that was pretty despicable i couldn't believe that you know here's kemp trying to open up and then you got trump on national tv saying you know nope he's 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 going outside of the guidelines and everything about how he's quote unquote supported the reopening has been kind of silly you know he hasn't until just these last couple of days really came out he supported elon musk in elon's opening he put the tweet out and said look california should let elon musk open up and that was really the first move that was really the first move towards him being the trump i remember the trump that we all elected you know the guy that isn't scared and isn't pussyfooting around the situation isn't straddling the fence you know, but I also see him making comments like, we're going to mobilize the U.S. military to deliver the vaccinations. That's, that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. Why the fuck would you need the U.S. military mobilized to deliver vaccinations? There is ample medical infrastructure. He himself has been on television saying, look, America's doing more testing, number one in testing all over the world. We're fantastic at this. He's been touting the American medical infrastructure, yet simultaneously he's saying that, you know, we need to be prepared to have the military involved in the in the disbursement of the vaccinations, which, man, that's a whole other arena. But listen, stay vigilant. That's, that's, you know, if there's one message I'm trying to get across here, it's don't be so sold on the jersey that you forget that both teams might support the game. To elaborate on that, you know, you might have an NFL, you might have an NFC and an AFC, but when it comes time to protect that game or to protect the Super Bowl where they all make their money, you might, you might find that they'll all defend the league. And I kind of see the same thing developing here. You might have you know, a red jersey or a blue jersey on, but remember that the most important thing is that you're an American first. And, you know, we don't want to be a group that follows Trump to the point where we allow ourselves to be manipulated by that. You know, I mean, this is this is unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetimes. You know, shutting down over a virus with a 99.9 plus survival rate allowing the complete shutdown of our economy, the surrendering of rights, the infringement on personal liberties, them coming out and saying you can't have church. The church is then cowering to the government and not standing up for that. I mean, just never would I even have thought, and I'm a conspiracy theorist type guy, as you probably know. I mean, I, 
there's not many things I would would question in terms of their possibility. But even I wouldn't have thought that you would see America cave so easily. And a lot of that has been because those that would typically rise up and be raising questions and be saying, well, just a damn minute, they're comfortable. They're comfortable because they feel like Trump is in charge and that he's with them. But I would argue that we need to be extremely cautious of presuming that, given the circumstances. So, you know, stay vigilant, be thoughtful, and always be skeptical of those in power. All right, this next segment is brought to you by Apple Cat Zebra. They are your source for all things PPE. Whether you're needing gloves, masks, face shields, gowns, you name it. If you need it for PPE, they've got it. They specialize in gloves, all of the above, vinyl, nitrile, latex. They have great inexpensive gloves um, options for anyone in the retail space, anyone in the restaurant, the gas station, you know, food grade, medical grade, industrial grade, you need gloves, they've got them at applecatzebra.com. Um, call them for bulk orders, wholesale orders, individual case slots, whatever your needs may be, they've got you covered. Anyways, let's dive into this segment real quick. Um, first things first, you should know that this content that we're putting on here, we're putting it on here because it has literally been banned and pulled and shadow banned and censored to death on social media like you wouldn't believe and the bizarre thing is that it's not even that controversial we're not even saying anything that is um, you know really disrespectful or rude or hateful towards any group it's just facts but you know heaven forbid modern day social media let the facts get out they have been just censoring more and more Especially anything that doesn't fit this far radical left wing contra, you know, this left wing contraband, I call it, you know, the pandemic, the BLM, anything that isn't in line with that isn't in line with, you know, mainstream media. And we all know that the, the apps are basically owned by left wing nut jobs. Um, and listen, I'll put it out there the TikTok situation, for example, I heavily actually disagree with Trump and him forcing them to sell it off to American Microsoft. I don't have a lot of fondness for Microsoft or, you know, it's not as though they're going to be able to protect our rights or, you know, allow anything better for us than, than the other platforms are saying, oh, but, you know, TikTok could get data and mine data and et cetera, et cetera. Look, Google, Facebook, Yahoo, they all do the same thing. All of these apps mine your data. All of them sell it off to the highest bidder be that China as a nation or be that some corporation that wants to sell you a mattress, you know, whatever the case may be, your data is always exposed on these apps. But anyhow, topic for perhaps another day. So I don't agree with, you know, the forced sell off of, of TikTok, but we all know that censorship is a problem and it could be solved quite simply. The censorship issue could be solved by simply demanding that these platforms or these publishers declare which one they are. You have to be a platform or you have to be a publisher. Meaning if you're a publisher, great. You can choose to be that. You can edit and control your content. 
and then you can be liable for said content. Um, but you can't come out and say, hey, I'm a platform. I'm not liable for anything that happens on here because I'm just a platform where other people post their content and then turn around and behave as a publisher, meaning you're getting all the benefits and perks of being a platform while acting like a publisher. And that's not right. They should make platforms declare. And if you declare yourselves a, a platform, meaning you're not liable for content, you don't edit your content, that should also mean that you can't censor your your content beyond what is rational, meaning obviously you wouldn't allow, you know, violence and certain things to to spread on there. You, you know, you could have you could have some things to that pertain to like the rating system or or what have you. But by and large, we should make these social media um, companies declare themselves either a platform or a publisher and don't let them operate as both because that would solve most of the problem because most people would step up and say you know what i don't want to be liable for content which is what they're doing anyway i don't want to be responsible for remarks you know different people make about different subjects so we're just a platform well if you're a platform let people control their own content you're you're claiming that they own their content you're claiming that it's theirs and not yours so how can you go out and censor it? But anyhow, it's just crazy. And this next piece that I'm talking about here today, this stuff has been censored to death. And all I've been doing is saying, look, I've been just pointing out the facts. Whites are actually the global minority. White people are, in fact, the global minority. I hate that we keep saying minority groups, minority groups, minority groups in reference to people of color or brown people. If you go out there and you look around the world, whites are by far the global minority. There are more black and brown people on this planet, planet Earth, than there are white people. And the most rare person, as I pointed out, and the videos and the comments keep getting pulled from all of social media, is that the actual most rare human being is a redhead with green eyes. That's just a statistical fact. There are fewer redheads with green eyes than there are any other quote-unquote race. So, you know, I made the comment. I said, ginger is the new nigger. Meaning, you know, ginger should actually be a much more offensive term than nigger, given the fact that the gingers, a.k.a. redheads, are actually the rarest breed of person on earth. Some people have even said that redheads are in danger of extinction. Now, I haven't done the research to back that up or anything, but it would stand to reason um, if, as, you look, as you look around the world. So, first of all, if you're white, you shouldn't have any white guilt. Every single race, nationality, peoples, everyone has been enslaved. Everyone has undergone trials and tribulations. Look at the Jews. Look at the whites in um, other countries. Everybody as a people has gone through times of enslavement. Everybody as a people have gone through times of oppression. And if you are living in America today and you think you're oppressed because of skin color, you are truly one of the most ignorant human beings alive because it simply isn't happening. That's not to say there aren't racist individuals. There's always racist individuals. There are also rapists, murderers, thieves, etc. There are always going to be bad, evil individuals. But to come out and make these outrageous claims that, you know, black people um, or people of color or brown people or whomever are systematically oppressed in America 
is just asinine. It's asinine. There's zero data to back that up. And you know what? It's even more obnoxious is when wealthy, famous black people come out and talk about being oppressed. That is so asinine. It's very simple. It's like little Wayne actually made the comment. He said, look, I came up in my concerts and I see, you know, people buying my records, white kids buying my albums, buying my, you know, things that I sponsor, supporting me coming out to my concerts. That's a sign to me that there's not racism. I don't understand how anybody could not use that same rationale. I mean, it's just asinine. You, you, if you're oppressed, you don't get paid a hundred million dollars a year to play basketball with stadiums full of screaming fans and millions more watching on TV. If you're oppressed, you don't get, um, famous selling records or being in movies that just, that doesn't happen. If people are racist against you and prejudiced against you, then they don't support you in that way. So it's just an outrageous claim, but anyway, you know, this will be like one of the shortest, um, iPod <laughs> casts ever podcasts ever, but I just had to come on and put it on here because they keep censoring it off of, off of social media. Everyone, you know, that's probably the new term we should use. Ginger is the new nigger. Redheads are actually the true minority, not blacks. So you know, do with that as you may, you know, both terms should be equally offensive. Why isn't cracker so offensive that it gets jerked off? Why are, why are all these things, any think of any other racial slur, any other racial slur, it doesn't carry with it the kind of, you know, sensitivity that they assign to the word nigger. It's just, it's just insane. Now, would I ever call a black person that, um, in an offensive racial way? <laughs> no, but do I think everyone should walk on eggshells around the term or walk on eggshells around, you know, people of color on the premise that they're the minority, which they are not the global minority. Again, whites are actually the global minority. It's not our fault that whites have gone out and in his, in the past, you know, years and conquered all the world. That's not, not our fault that they were kind of the conquerors of the United States or of America. That has nothing to do with people that are alive and well in this country today. No one alive experienced slavery in America. No one alive was a participant in enslaving people in America. It's just asinine. I'm over it. Everyone should be over it. Have a good day. Go out and enjoy your weekend. Thanks for everything.